0: Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enloe. Today we're answering some listener questions as well as kind of digging in on the previous jobs that
1: Oren and I have done and just kind of uh, where we're at headspace-wise in our careers and the way that we're developing our projects.
0: Yeah, I think we've talked about this before, but I think 2017 has by far been, like, the weirdest year I've had in a while. Mm -hmm. Again, I blame the election and just, like, the fallout from, like, people just not super excited to go back and make like youtube videos right then unless they were like activism related in some way but i think we're finally kind of back into the flow of things getting calls for jobs and that's what we're gonna talk about today uh we've both been working on a few different jobs and you just had to shoot uh yesterday? Uh, the day before yesterday. Right. A couple of days ago and you, you had a, an interesting experience that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, it was super fun. Uh,
1: so we'll just jump into what I've been working on lately. It was cool. It was kind of like it was a show for uh, full screen, uh, you know, influencers and then kind of crazy genre parody and um, all sorts of stuff. The The second episode that I shot was like a video game kind of parody so like we did POV rigs and you know we had guns and blood and gore and i was like oh man orin would crush this one i feel like recently you and i both have been up for or even received jobs
0: that we should just hand to the other person <laughs> but, yeah yeah but, i do wonder like if you were a producer and you called a director and you said hey good news i have a job for you and then that director said like hmm I'm not really into that, but you should talk to this other person. Would you like that or would you be offended? I think that if a director is like, hey, I'm not really available, but I know the perfect person for this job,
1: I think most producers like that. You know, um, producers, their whole stock and trade is having a good relationship with with people. And so most of the producers that I work with regularly, um, you know, are friends. So like, I'm happy to, to pitch other people if I'm not available or if I'm not right for the job. So I don't think. It would be a thing that's problematic at all. Moreover, I feel like it was kind of nice to be up for jobs that weren't, that I wasn't being pigeonholed
0: as. You know what I mean? Ever since we had Abby Fuller on, which Mm -hmm. is one of our best episodes, if you haven't heard it, listen to it. Um, And she said that thing about know what you want to do, don't tell people you do everything. I've just, that's just really stuck with me. And I'm, trying to get pigeonholed (laughs) sure 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 i i
1: think in this situation the slot that i had been pigeonholed as was a dependable good director that they like to work with oh right so like they were just like oh we need someone to pinch at these kind of two technically hard episodes you know there were like all sorts of effects and like logistical challenges and performance stuff so it was just like stunts they needed a ringer to kind of just you know, make sure that it we made our days and stuff, and the the whole show was pretty um pretty intense for everybody. So, and I'd worked with it was Bobby, my main DP, and like I'd worked with the whole team a bunch. So it was it was great to just kind of step in and do it. But stunts was uh, the thing that um I have some experience with, but mostly in the realm of like you have a very specific gag you need taken care of. You know, it's like you know it's a commercial spot, and like you know the dad has to like dive to catch the baby or something like that where it's like oh we're hiring this person to do this very particular gag and then the rest of the day they're kind of hanging out or moving on or whatever so in this one actually our character is like shooting a bunch of clowns and Mm -hmm. so i had designed it such that like they were all wearing identical makeup and costumes so he could kind of like take the hit or the fall for any of the other actors basically it's really fun to work with a technician like that because you know i can kind of pitch ideas and you know we've all seen movies and you know i love jackie chan or whatever but like having a person who just kind of is so physical and so dialed in on how to perform those specific moves they're just like a fountain of information and ideas. And it's so fun to work with. Them. Right.
0: And they'll tell you, like, if you put the camera here and mm-hmm. it'll look
1: way better, the punch will sell. Well, what's funny is like, I talked to him, uh, the, the stunt guy's name is Vic. I talked to him in the morning. We'd had a great conversation. We'd kind of gone through the whole day and everything, everything was going great. Um, and then, you know, we, kind of everyone breaks and then like, I'm kind of moving into stuff. And then, uh, Uh, This guy comes up to me as I'm sort of like working with the camera team and, you know, he's in clown makeup and stuff and kind of starts like pitching ideas and telling me to move the camera and like all of this stuff. And I like in my head, I'm like, who the fuck is this dude? Like, you know, like some actor is telling me where to put the camera. And then it took took me a, a good solid beat to realize, oh, that's Vic now actually in his makeup doing his job and I just exploded laughing. It was so funny for me.
0: Yeah. I find with stunt guys, they're like super helpful Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, and we talk about this a lot, but every person on the crew, if they're really experienced in what they do, it's worth leaning on them. And I don't think, I think it makes you look better as a director. If you go to the stunt guy and say like, Hey, you know what angle, like, let's talk about, what angle we should shoot this from to make it have the most impact. How know? do we sell this? Yeah, and I think also, you know, he was really
1: great of kind of asking what version of the performance we were looking for. Like, how cartoony is this? How hard do you want me to sell this? Like, what sort of hit is it? You know, they, they can do anything, right? Like, he was like, ah, do you want me to do a backflip or a front flip? You know, we were just, like, standing in someone's backyard, and he's like, I was, like, showing him where the camera angle was and what the gag was, and he was like... I was like, oh, I'd love it to if your face could land he, he, this way, so that we, we, you know, you can deliver your line to camera. And he was like, Yeah, yeah, hold on like this, and then just did a, a belly flop, like a like <laughs> right. a forward flip, and then a belly flop, without any warning, <laughs> right? Like Perfectly, exactly where we needed. And he did it all day, like a, like diving over tables, all of that stuff. Yeah, and he and was I like, "Is that is that good? Was that too much? You want more? You want less?" And I, you know, I told him, and it's literally true. I pulled my back
0: on a stationary bike this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just looking at it. Yeah, um, yeah. I find there's kind of three things to keep in mind when I'm working with stunt guys. Number one is they love attention, right? Mm-hmm, so they sure. will just do a flip in the middle of a room and right. have all the people on cycle. Whoa! Did you yeah. see that? Yeah. Um, number two. They will talk to your actors a lot. Yeah. And it's worth preparing your actors for that and and doing the intros and all that stuff because some stuntmen are better, Mm -hmm. and women, are better at talking to actors than others. Like I've worked with some that come and they're like, no, 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 you're just not holding it right. You're just doing it. Like that they increase the stress (laughs) with the actors instead of you know, lowering it. And, you know, there's a lot of actors that are just not good at like throwing a punch or, or, you know, or, or haven't been trained or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, So actually Vic kind of worked with our actors to
1: make sure that they looked more tactical. Like this is how you hold the gun, you know, Make sure you do this and that. And like, you know, a couple, a couple pointers makes all the difference with that stuff.
0: Right. And the third thing is that, uh, they want to please the director they know that they they need to get the director happy, so they'll say yes to anything you ask right. of them, but behind the scenes, they will talk to the producers to make sure they're compensated for anything more dangerous than... Um, than their pay than, scale. Yeah. yeah, than their pay scale, and mm-hmm. when I did that Call of Duty stuff, mm-hmm. Mom of Duty, we had our stunt guys basically went to the producers and said, hey... You know, the director's asked us to follow. This, these are the most, this is the most times I've fallen on set. I've probably fallen like 80 times today. Like, you got to pay us more for that. And they, when I was signing them, I'd be like, are you guys good for another take? And they're like, yeah, no problem. Of course. Yeah. Sure. As yeah, many yeah. takes do you want? Yeah, yeah. So it's something that on that shoot is where I learned like, hey, just because the stunt guy says I'm willing to do like 20 flips, like try to do as few flips as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. You know, well, they, they are hurting. They are
1: hurting, and it is a, a thing where, like, I think stunt guys probably are aware that, like, if it, if they show you that it hurts, then you're not going to want to do it again, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so there's this veneer of tough guy, like, you know, they act like they're invincible, right? Even mm-hmm. though, like, ah, you know, you maybe you hid some pads in strategic places, but you're still a dude, just like, you know, jumping over a, a a table or whatever, you know, you're still landing on the ground. Um, And so that cheery attitude, I think that's interesting that, you know, sometimes it can backfire and in ways that it's hard to read. Whereas I think more traditional performers, maybe, uh, and ones you've had a little bit more time to like forge a relationship with can feel free to say like, "Mm, this
0: isn't working for me or like I need a second or anything like that. Right. I found a lot. I mean, this still happens to me as a director that came from, YouTube for making my own videos with my friends. Like I think most people, you actually have to learn about like what's what's fair to ask of people mm-hmm. um, as you become like more professional. I remember this was a long time ago, like 10 years ago I did this show for Super Deluxe and there was a scene where this guy's like driving around and totally lost and like yelling at his wife o- over the cell phone. And I just kept, like he was just driving so slow, mm-hmm. the actor, during the scene. We're just in this residential neighborhood and I was like, can you just drive faster? We did a few takes, and he just kept slowing down as he was doing his dialogue. And at some point, he was like, dude, this is not safe. I can't just be acting, full-out acting and yelling at someone while I'm driving. And I was like, oh, yeah. I guess I never really thought of that. Yeah, I think there are actually
1: SAG rules against that. Like, that's why we have stunt drivers and, you know. I mean, nowadays, I shoot a lot of green screen car stuff, so, like, I've never done a process trailer. Have you
0: done a process trailer? I've done a process trailer. I've done a poor man's process. I've done every version of process yeah, trailer. Yeah. I've done the green screen. I've done the black background with the lights moving. I've mm-hmm. done a full proper process trailer. But I've also done, on that Lifetime movie I did, mm-hmm. we got a like a car tow from mm-hmm. U-Haul. Mm-hmm. And oh, then we had a steak bed and we uh, towed the car on this U-Haul thing. And we took... I don't think we took the wheels off the car, but we did. We maybe took all the air out of the tires. We you did what, lower it. Yeah. yeah, because the problem with, like, towing a car regularly is there's other cars next to it. And all of a sudden, this, like, sports car is, like, at the same height as, like, a monster truck. Right, right. So, and the reason you want the process trailers, you want lights. You want right to put the camera, like, a few feet in front of them. I don't know. I love, like, I feel like some of my best car stuff is, like, stuff I just did with my HVX or my DVX, mm-hmm. like, just car-mounted. Yeah, I think a car mount is a, is a good way to go,
1: and especially now that, like, cameras are so much cheaper and lighter and you can throw a bunch at
0: them. Right, but then you need the actor to drive. Right. And that's a thing that, like, that's something I've learned to start asking people. If I know there's driving scenes, like, in an audition, I'll be like, hey, it's like, a couple scenes where we right. just want to see you driving. Are you cool with that? Right. Well, and there's a difference
1: between, like, delivering dialogue and how intense that dialogue is versus... Like screaming versus just like, you know, there's a lot of stuff in Squaresville where we did it kind of old-fashioned where, you know, you'd kind of musical chairs kind of jump between all of the different characters. And so I'd be in the back and then, you know, the camera would be opposite the actor and then the other actor would be behind the camera and you kind of just do doe do everybody. And that's
0: a fun way to do it as long as it's like teenagers wishfully talking about their dreams. You right. Know? Yeah. When I did that Lifetime movie, there's a scene where Lori Lachlan's in the back seat and the driver, Chris, is like driving. She's been knocked out and she comes to and gets out of her whatever plastic handcuffs or something. And she like grabs a rope and chokes him while he's driving. Mm -hmm. And so we shot that we were shooting the scene for real. He was really driving. Mm -hmm. We had car mounts and then we had uh, the DP and I, we we had two cameras. So we were each holding a camera. Mm -hmm. I was in the front seat. He was in the back seat kind of cross covering. Um, And then we'd always stop the scene when she was just about to choke him. And they're like, well, how does the rest of the scene play out? I was like, oh, we're going to do the rest on the green screen stage. And Chris was like, I think we can just do it. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you need to get choked at and then, like, run the car off the side of the road. But we were in this, like, rural area, Pryu. It's, like, a a couple hours north of here. And he's like, well, can't we just use one of these roads? I was like, I mean, I could. We could, but I would never ask you guys to – never ask her to choke you and you to, like – Pretend to be passing out and drive off. And he's like, I think I can do it. It's like, okay, if you guys are down for it, <laughs> I'll, I'll do it. So we did it practically. Cool, man. Yeah. I think in hindsight, if we would have done it on the green screen, it could have been like m- way better. more violent. Yeah. Um, but it would have looked worse. you right. know? Yeah. I mean, the, the big advantage for me on green screen um,
1: beyond just budget is like the comfort of being able to walk over to an actor and just talk to them real quick and that you're not endangering your life for anyone else's and like you know like you if you put a car on casters you can rota- rotate it around very
0: easily and like
1: you know i think it's just a, a pretty straightforward way to do it
0: yeah i and hate green screen personally oh, for really? car stuff yeah first of all from doing visual effects shots like sure. anyone with blonde hair or anything it's just really hard to key to Mm -hmm. get a good key. You can't do like rack focuses. I mean, you can Mm -hmm. do them in camera and then you give it to your VFX team. And they're like, "They're so mad at you. You have to change how you key every time you change focus. Then people start doing like doing dolly shots or slider shots across the hood and these impossible shots that in general I think are big giveaways. Like I would Mm -hmm. never shoot a green screen even though I did on that lifetime. After that I would never do it again where I like do a push in through the window or slider like A lot of slider shots, because I feel like it gives away the fact that you're not Mm -hmm. at the location. Would you do a slider shot practically, like with a process trailer? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, then, 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 you know. um, Oh, I I see what you're saying. Yeah, but that type of slider shot would be different. We probably wouldn't be going in through the window because that operator would fall off the process trailer. You know, we'd probably just put in front and. Yeah. No, but that's a good point. Or we would put a crane, but there's like the shaking. There's, I don't know, there's, you there's feel all it. this no, stuff. It's true. You do feel it. Yeah. That, like, if you have this perfectly smooth move, is just, I don't know. I don't really like that. But, um, but yeah, like in real life, there's traffic and there's mm-hmm. lighting, excuse me, is changing. But when we shot all that stuff practically, 50% of it is unusable because they're driving straight into sun, you know, mm-hmm. or they're totally in silhouette and right yeah you do have to kind of I mean shooting at night is a little bit easier nowadays Mm -hmm. like yeah just just kinos on the ceiling of the car
1: sure or Um, like or like you've got light mats you've got like all sorts of LEDs oh yeah you know like like now it's so much easier you can Mm -hmm. hide lights anywhere and stuff so so that's nice um I I we've talked about how much I like that show Easy um and they did a thing that I just was like oh thank god finally we figured it out they just did their dialogue scenes where the characters were taking an Uber. Oh, yeah. So it's just, you get a two-shot, you know? The Mm -hmm. operator is in the front passenger seat. It's all totally natural. You can do it in a one or if you want to. And I was like, boy, that is... I mean, it was perfect for the characters who were, like, a little bougie, I guess. And
0: I love car scenes. I know there's something about the fact that one person is, like, busy doing something else and you're moving and, I don't know, I feel like it just adds a whole other element that you wouldn't get from two people talking in an apartment. That's true. I, I, you know, I do feel a little a little limited by camera moves and
1: placement. I, yeah, that can bum me out a little bit because there's only so many ways to shoot a car scene. Yeah,
0: you should watch rewatch Training Day because oh, really? they are. I mean, when I did the Lifetime movie, I like basically they do shoot a car. Conversation from every angle possible, mm-hmm, yeah. and it's good. It's satisfying. It like they're kind of telling the story with the composition at the same time, and it's cool. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Well, cool. So, it, yeah, that sounds like a cool shoot. I wanna. I haven't done stunts in a while. Um, right now, I'm still in this development phase, but I'm in. I'm I'm in a better place than I was like a month ago. I'm up for a bunch of different jobs and. I'm still grappling with that same thing that I'm sure a lot of our listeners grapple with and that we always talk about, which is like which jobs you say yes to and which jobs you say no to. But when you're up for like five jobs, it's much easier to say no to three jobs right. than when you're up for one job, barely. <laughs> and, it's, and it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm excited about that. I had a pitch at the CW for yeah, CW yeah. Seed last week. No, this week. Um, and it went really well. I was thinking I could maybe talk a little bit about how yeah. we organize that pitch? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I think because it went very well. You're being modest, but like, you yeah, know, you felt great
1: afterwards. So
0: yeah, I mean, who knows who they what they say to other people? But like, the woman from CW was like, "Wow, that pitch was terrific." I honestly don't even have any questions because I totally get everything you said. Yeah, I mean, you know when you've done a good job with a pitch,
1: and like that is a big factor in whether or not people say yes or no, but also you know, you can do the best pitch in the world, and if it's for something that they're not looking for, like, that's that. You right? Know? Yeah, they, they knew what the conceit to the project was and had relationships and stuff, so it wasn't like you guys were coming in totally cold. Like, they're very open
0: to the idea of the show. Right. That said, I don't know if we'll sell it there, but I feel like we did everything we could have done. Um, and I, I think what helps is, so there's... So there's five of us in the pitch, right? There's um, two people from New Form Digital who are who is the production company, right? They're the yeah, I guess or they sort of the studio. They're a sort of studio as well.
1: Yeah. I would say I would describe them as studio because I think they kind of outsource a lot of their production as well.
0: Yeah, right. yeah. So they're studio. So basically yeah. New Form Digital, they spun off from Imagine Entertainment, Ron Howard's company. They were the studio behind Shitty Boyfriends, the show that Matt directed last year. Or the, or the year before, um, 2015. Year before. Yeah, 2015. They're yes. the studio behind Miss 2059 that I directed last year. And they actually also are the studio behind the thing you just directed this yep. week. And the thing I directed the week before. A lot of new form work this yeah. yeah, they're out of Like, I was talking to them, and they actually said something a little sad, which is that they're. Not taking any more pitches on any new content right now because they have so much, so much stuff, stuff going on
1: they, it's a really insane amount of stuff that they're doing
0: yeah and they kind of I I, I don't know if they invented it I'm gonna give them credit because I hadn't heard about it before even though out now everyone's doing it but the idea of like taking someone that they like giving them ten or twenty thousand dollars and telling them go make something that we can use to sell you and your show yeah And that's like a startup model, right? I mean, the tech industry has been doing this forever, but like the thing that we always run against and that I'm sure our listeners do too is that the only way to get to sell a show or a movie is to have made a show or a movie. Right. So how do you get past that first stage and it's make a miniature cheap version of your show or movie. We're in a time where people care about actors but also the filmmakers, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, if you can make something that just shows really who you are, what your personality is, what your voice is, right. doesn't matter if it was cost a million dollars or it was totally free, you have a good chance of selling it to you know to the right people. So, anyway, that's what New Form did with Shitty Boyfriends, right? Didn't they incubate uh, sh- that
1: Shitty Boyfriends?
0: Yes, they did. They did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so
1: they had a pilot episode, and then I came on after that,
0: right? And that's how Miss Twenty Fifty Nine was too. Anna right. kind of made. Her own pilot, and they sold it sure. to U90. Yulene's show, I Ship It, was also an incubator project. Dr. First. Havoc also. Yep. So speaking of Dr. Havoc, bringing back to what I was talking about, we had, aside from the two people from New Form, we had our team of three people, including me, this guy, Andrew Allen, who actually is the editor of Dr. Havoc. Oh, funny. But the writer of our show, he's primarily a writer, but... He was excited by the stop-motion thing. And he's friends with Tiffany, who you know, right? Sure, very well. Um, we should have her. Sure. So she uh, you know, brought him onto Dr. Havoc. And then this guy, Eddie Kim, who it's his show. He created it. It's his idea. He went to USC, actually. And in new form, do you know about the class they do at USC? Yeah, that's where I first met Melissa. Oh. Yeah. So that's like this other thing. Maybe we should talk about just for a second, because it's, really interesting. it's a really interesting way into... The industry,
1: yeah. So basically, um, there they have a class, basically where you make your own web series pilot. And part of the deal is, I, I was actually speaking on a, to the class with Melissa and a couple other people, um, which is where we kind of connected and met. But like basically, they get. They, they guarantee that they'll pick up a couple shows basically from each class.
0: Yeah. So what Eddie told me in his classes, they basically teach a semester long class about how to develop your own web show. And then at the end of the class, they guarantee at least three of those web shows will be selected for a second semester of shooting a bunch of stuff like kind of incubating oh interesting that's that's changed from when i was there okay yeah yeah, yeah. well eddie's year they chose ended up choosing four because Mm -hmm. they really liked four of them and they gave them each like you know twenty thousand dollars or something to spend a semester making writing directing Mm -hmm. editing creating kind of the first few episodes of their show so eddie already made this like show right that we're pitching
1: when he's in college and is like surrounded by people who don't need to make money for right you know the next six months at least yeah that's incredible what an opportunity eddie
0: way to go yeah and what an opportunity for new form like look at this they spent 80 grand right and obviously some time and resources but now they have these four ideas for shows that are cold down from probably 30 of you know Mm -hmm. the next generation of filmmakers and they have all this stuff to show and they've worked out all the kinks and they know what's good and what's bad and they can go to cw or they can go to youtube or verizon or whoever and say hey we have this show here's some video here's the creator here's the personal story and so that's when they came to me they already had all that stuff so they added andrew on to write the pilot and really kind of arc out the whole season because he's he has a lot of experience Mm -hmm. in that especially in this genre which is kind of like a height like martial arts, supernatural mm-hmm. genre, um, and then they brought me because they just wanted to, you know a reliable director that could do kind of some, some action VFX driven stuff and tell a story. So uh, the three of us go into the pitch, and this is this is the order of our pitch, which you know we refined quite a bit, but I think it, it came out pretty well. Is we open with Eddie talking about how he came up with this idea, mm-hmm. and it's like a really personal idea for him. It kind of Came from his love of martial arts films and mm-hmm. his uh lack of resources to make them and how mm-hmm. he overcame it. I um, mean I love like a high school martial arts film. I love it. Love yeah. it so much. So it's, that's it's how we so all charming. Right? yeah started making like funny punches and stuff. Um and so he talks about that and he's like, and this is how I came up with it. And then we play a trailer. It's like a one and a half minutes, which is the exact right length. They could even be one minute. Mm-hmm. That just kind of sets up the tone a little bit, some tension. And is this a rip matic or? No, no. It's uh, something from some, he he made in that class. Oh, cool. Yeah. And was it a cut down of the pilot,
1: basically, or?
0: No, I think it was or like, that.
1: that was the final product.
0: Well, I think, I, I honestly think that it came out better than all the other stuff he shot. That. Other stu- he basically shot this trailer as a proof of concept. They liked it so much that they shot three episodes. Mm-hmm. But the episodes okay. are, have storylines and a, a bunch of stuff that just didn't seem necessary. The, the trailer kind of gave the idea already, <laughs> without you having to be invested in any right. characters or anything. Right. The, the and trailer you're, is
1: you're in a meeting, so like playing yeah. a video is already a bit of a challenge anyway. Right.
0: And the trailer is more. About the world than mm-hmm. like the characters. There's none of the characters in the trailer or in our picture right. or anything. Well, and like it's such a high concept that, like, the characters,
1: writers will kill me for saying this, but the characters aren't super important. Like, tone and vibe and world is what you're selling. And then, you right. know, and then the heart is
0: how you're keeping the audience right, right. right. So. But that's raw clay that kind of like will be developed as you go. Right. Yeah. So we open with the high concept. And then we go back to Eddie. He says, just like a couple sentences on like how this project has kind of helped him, you know, achieve his dreams, and he or not achieve how how this concept is really personal to him, and how he wishes he could live in this world he created. Right. And then he passes it off to Andrew, who says, "Now, you know, this is how the how we get into the show." Right. You know, we fl- flashback. I want to stop Jesus you right there, it. just yeah. just for a second, because I think that
1: what you're hitting on is something really interesting. I I feel like. Uh, in Hollywood, people tend to fetishize the personal story and personal angle so much that, like, you know, to an executive, if you don't have a way of pitching the thing you're doing as, you know, a personal passion project, they're not interested, right? Um, And, you know, I I think it's a thing we talk about on the show all the time. But what's really fascinating to me is that you managed to, uh, or rather Eddie managed to personalize A story about people like like martial arts like high concept fighting basically right but but explained why he wanted to tell that story in a personal way
0: and that's really all you need yeah you know and to be honest he actually added one more layer about how him and his family always watched these martial mm -hmm. arts films together and now the characters are trying to learn to be a family which i thought was fine but Mm -hmm. i thought we could have probably just stuck to his like very personal yeah. thing, and that would have been enough.
1: Because really, what we're
0: looking for is passion. Yeah, looking, are you passionate yeah. about this enough to carry it
1: through and make it really cool? Right, that's and what's it, important. Yeah,
0: and it doesn't always have to be about like, oh, this happened to me. Like, my brother mm-hmm. always beat me up, so I want to make a movie about people. Like, yeah, up their totally. brothers. It yeah, can or be, My grandpa taught me origami or whatever. That doesn't or, matter. You or know? it can be like, I saw, I watched Truman Show, and that movie blew my mind because, mm-hmm. like, imagine that you. Had, grown up in this world that was like created custom for you and everyone saw you. And I always wondered like what happened like after he mm-hmm. left that world. Right, right. Right. So the Truman show part, that's like part one, but I was like always wondering like, what would life be like for the most famous person on earth after they're not famous anymore. Right. Um, and this is what that show, like you can, it doesn't have to be something that you live through. Right. But it you can, can just be something way. that you're super excited about. Right. I'll always say this. Uh, Steven Spielberg was never a shark. Right, right. So, did he write Jaws and like created and isn't Uh, it based on a book? It's based on a book. Yeah, it's based on a book. But still, right. So he probably was like, I read this book. It's awesome. Like we can make this amazing. Like that fear the thing. Like it's all about tension. You know, no, what's lurking under the water.
1: And I'm not saying that that movie isn't intensely personal to him or any of the other actors or artists that worked on it. I'm saying that just because you. You know, you don't literally have to have been attacked by a shark in order to make a movie about a man-eating shark. Right.
0: Like you look at Whiplash and you're like, well, that's Damien Chazelle's sure. story. He went right. to music school and this is... Yes, it's nice when you have that. But even if right. you don't have that, it doesn't mean you can't tell personal stories that are about aliens. Or Absolutely. Whatever. And I would I would say that that's kind of the big challenge for
1: all directors. Right. I think Sidney Lumet has a great uh, book about that, actually. Yeah, you know. Making
0: Movies. Is it just making movies? Yeah, because there's a chapter on on how, how to make. He has you know, to he find a way into every yeah. movie. And I actually, I, the one thing I'll take credit for the pitch is kind of finding that unifying theme that w- that really, you even though we do say it out loud at the very end, but throughout the whole pitch, you feel it, which mm-hmm. is a, it's kind of about how it's about. People that feel like they're limited by their resources and how they use their creativity to Mm -hmm. go beyond, Mm -hmm. you know, to become powerful without anything. Well, I always say pitching is storytelling,
1: right? You're telling the story of how you're going to make the thing, right? You know, it's like a meta story.
0: Yeah. So then, yeah. So after Eddie did his thing, Andrew describes the pilot like beat by beat. And this is uh, like a 10 minute pilot. So he can basically tell us every single thing that happens. He talks about the big, you know, the origin story and the big explosion action things. And he he did a really excellent job. I was worried. That was the part I'm most worried about, because it's like ten minute or eight mm-hmm. minutes of him just talking mm-hmm. character names and things. And and this is where you can lose people. Right. But he did a really good job. And we and had this, you feel it too. Like you see those eyes sort of glazing right. over or like fidgeting or like checking phones. Well, we had this thing, it was like if someone wrinkles a piece of paper, it means to like skip start to, yeah. to skip the meat to start summarizing. and Yeah, get, yeah. yeah. That's so really funny. But he made it through the whole thing. And you know, we have like uh, our people from New Form, Melissa and Matt, like kind of laughing when he mm-hmm. tells the funny parts. and It's nice you have someone to kind of juice a little bit. Yeah, and they hadn't really heard that pitch very much because yeah. they hadn't been rehearsing it. So it was nice that there's people on your team that it's fresh to that can react. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's cool. Oh, I forgot about that part. You know, yeah, like yeah. things like that. And then it goes to me and I talk about basically how we're going to make it. I talk mm-hmm. about First, I go into comparisons. I'm like, you know, it's kind of like, like the world of the Kingsman. It's like bright mm-hmm. and stuff and badass, but the characters don't take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, they're they like us. They react like us. Not, nothing is precious in this mm-hmm. world. It's like kids finding this power. But they're kind of like the kids from Chronicle, too, where they're not necessarily going to use this for good. You know, they're kind of like the bad kids. And they're going right. to first, their or first selfish. instinct yeah, 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 is to use it for selfish reasons yeah. purposes. So talk about that tonally kind of sets it up. And then I go into like style, you know. We're gonna be cinematic but efficient and mm-hmm. point of view. We're really gonna tell this story from this kid's point of view when he and feels did alone. It. Right, right, right. Yeah, wide shots, and then as he starts like understanding this world, we'll kind of pop into details and see see what he sees, what he's noticing in the world now that he hasn't noticed before. Um, and then I talk about uh, the fighting style a little bit, like referencing mm-hmm. and like kind of John Wick, you know, wide and, and casting and how we're gonna cast people that can do a lot of their own stunts, but mm-hmm. But a, a healthy dose of Jackie Chan because it's super right. improvisational and resourceful and stuff. And then, and then I then I kind of oh talk about my background. I'm trying to it, each one of us. Like I think by the end of the pitch, it's also important to know why we're the team. Right. Right. So I'd say you know I m- my background before I did a lot of directing is visual effects, and I've always right. been like um, obsessed with making things seem bigger than the budget. You know. Right. Like and, and so part of what we're going to do is we're going to shoot these elements, we're going to add them to the fights, and you're not going to notice, and but for some reason, everything's going to feel a little more magical, and mm-hmm. it's be, through these kind of subtle, like, um, embedded visual effects that, that will be right. going out throughout the world. And then I talk a little bit about the look as well. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to be like, when we're in our regular world, it's kind of like bright and clear and green mm-hmm. and blue, and when we're in our uh, underground, like, kind of magical world, it's like silhouettes and pops of red and mm-hmm. yellow, um, but... Uh, and and we'll hint when you s- see people in the real world that are from this world, they'll maybe be wearing red or mm-hmm. there'll be some idea. You know, hopefully it's kind of all subconscious, like we're, we're introducing the audience to this world. Um, and speaking of the world, Andrew going to tell you a little bit more about the mythology and where the rest mm-hmm. of the season goes. And he talks about like where the people got their powers from and where the season goes. And stuff like that. And then, yeah, I what's pre- the button? I'm curious. Then I pretend that I just thought of something uh, <laughs> and I go, <laughs> and I go, oh, you know what? I want to add one more thing about kind of the social stuff. Um, you know, us making this can be so, it is so, uh, is part of the story sure. and the type and of people that will like this are kind of socially, or we, we want to share kind of how we're making the our mm-hmm. props and making our things and what's special about our show with other people and we'll challenge them on Instagram and Snapchat whatever and, and, stuff. and it could just be really fun and really one of the rules that we've made for ourselves is that we don't want to make any anything in our show that that people can't make themselves at mm. home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and I say because like ultimately we don't want to. Yes, it's like a mainstream, you know, martial arts, supernatural martial arts story that will appeal to like a wide audience. But we also want to have like appeal on a more personal right. uh, level with the kid that's like doodling in the back of the classroom right. Or the girl that's like building a robot sure. in her basement, like the builders, the makers, the people like Eddie Kim, right? Um, and then Eddie's like says something about like um, your you know her only limit is like imagination or whatever, right, right, right. Um, so that's how the pitch C. is supposed to yeah, go. Yeah. That's really interesting that you had a planned like oh
1: yeah moment. I tend to uh, not recommend people do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Did it work?
0: Yeah, I think it worked because and it kind of came from. Matt Hawk, who at New Form was like, You know, you guys, if like you guys get stuck or anyone, the other person can finish each other and, you know, making a conversation more yeah. than like a very well rehearsed speech. And which is great advice, essential advice. Yeah. Say. And, but we, it didn't really happen. No one really got stuck. And we had, I had, Andrew was all up from memory. I had printed out paper in front of me, and Eddie had his phone with notes. He has this like case that you can't see what's on the screen unless you're looking directly Uh in front of it. So it's no one at the, like from any other angle, it looks like it's off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But he was kind of just making sure to hit his bullet points. Me, I was like, dude, you're telling a story and then this happens and this happens. I'm like going off a checklist, like stone tile style VFX thing. You know, even now I can remember everything. So it's like, I just need that checklist to make sure I hit everything. Sure, sure. Yeah. Make sure you talked about all the things, but, but you're not. There's not a literal script where you're like, oh, you know. Right. Well, I the... actually have a script, but I bold and make it in mm-hmm. all caps, big letters, the points. And I usually, I don't read the script unless I'm like super worried about forgetting something. Mm-hmm. Well, And, I and I'll you... try to look at that while someone else is talking a little bit too.
1: There are certain grooves too that you kind of fall into. of Like, oh, you know how you're going to describe the tone or style or... You know, you don't know how you're going to get there necessarily,
0: but you have kind of a couple lines
1: or tricks up your sleeve. And the things
0: I pepper in a lot more when we actually do the pitch is like, oh, well, like Andrew told you, we're going to talk about this. Or like Eddie, like I try to make myself feel aware of the fact that we're all talking together. Right, right. And it's also really important to listen to each other when you're going. And to feel
1: the room out, right? right? Like, oh, like I think, you know, you'd mentioned in the beginning of our conversation that you really like this. Well... You know, I'm glad you brought that up, blah, blah, blah. Right. So but you were going to say there was a curveball. Yeah, middle. so
0: that was our planned pitch. But as soon as I finished um, my first section about style, tone, performance and all that stuff, I was like, uh, I said something along the lines of, uh, and that's, you know, and we want the, what the characters are doing in the show to inform how we actually make the show. And then Melissa immediately said, jumped in and said, yeah, you know, there's all these like social things we could do with that. Um and also, anyway, we won't bore you with all the mythology and stuff of, of the world. But we have this whole thing worked out. And then, and you know, our plan was to go on to the mythology the, and then the, the social. The boring like, mythology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, and I was like, yeah, I mean, well, Andrew, like, uh, was going to tell us a little bit about, like, how the, the power, where the powers came from. But, and I think they they're like, oh, cool. Yeah, we want to hear about that. And he went on, but he did like the shorter version, mm-hmm. like the paper crinkle version. Right, right, right. <laughs> and then I I said just to add on to what Melissa said, like we thought it'd be awesome if we like post these certain pictures on, you know, Instagram and stuff. And I'm this is not how I said it. I'm just trying to sure, sure. keep a little bit of the concept <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. under wraps, uh, since it's not sold yet. But anyway, so yeah, and and it went really well and and uh I feel like that's like a format that working in especially if you have like the writer creator and director usually two of those people are one person <laughs> right right but i found that having three people even on this podcast i find when there's three of us it's really easy to keep the conversation going e- easier yeah. than two people yeah totally huh. so anyway so that was that was my pitch that was my joke of uh letting the conversation die. <laughs> oh well good job you fooled me uh, <laughs> So, should we go to some listener questions? Yeah, we've got a couple of listener questions. We've got a, a voicemail. Yeah, let's listen to that voicemail real quick.
2: Hey, Ornette. Uh, thanks so much for the podcast. I've really enjoyed it. Very instructional and motivational um, and helpful, really. Uh, I, I'm a new film person. Living out here in Olympia, Washington, so there's not a lot of access to to this sort of uh, advice. Um, I've actually been rehabbing a house uh, the past uh, two and a half weeks out in Virginia, and I stumbled upon your podcast and I listened to every all 60 episodes, just kind of all while working, and it's been really great. Um, but you know, one of one of the things that kind of bugs me um, is that um, it seems that all the people you have, the guests, and including yourselves, there's this kind of overlying idea that, um, uh, you know, it all comes up that people, you know, are pretty choosy about who they work with uh, because they are going to be working with these people for a long time. And and it it comes up with, you know, the the filmmakers, the directors, or even the studio people. Um, And the, what it comes what it comes down to is that you're pe- these people are choosing the people that they're most comfortable with so people that are most like them and this kind of raises the whole diversity issue um what uh you know is this the issue with filmmaking is that uh there's sort of the good boy network that is happening within the industry and you know because you have to work with people for such a long time um this limits the amount of people that you know you that you're willing to work with not you per se but just people in general are, w- are willing to work with and is this one of the diversity issues in Hollywood I, I don't know I thought maybe you could just kind of address that because it comes up over and over with the people you have on your show and you've also discussed it yourselves um Thanks a lot, Matt. Uh, Thanks a lot, Oren. Uh, You guys have been great.
0: Thank you for the question. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't have your name because you didn't say it in your voicemail. Uh, But you're from Olympia, Washington. Shout out. I guess kind of the root of the question is, is the systemic bias in hiring in Hollywood. He was saying, you know, we hire people that we're comfortable working with right um people like ourselves right and uh i think the the short answer is like yeah that
1: is a problem and it's a thing that you uh, have to actively be aware of and rally against which is kind of um the point of this podcast in another sense you know i think tearing down the barriers from people getting into uh, this business is, is what this podcast is all about. And I think like, you know, um, there's a lot of different versions of those barriers, you know, whether it's business acumen or having a real or connections or like something much more insidious, you know, like uh, some sort of bias or discrimination, like all of that stuff is all, you know, uh, real and uh, a thing that we have to be vigilant against as best we can.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's kind of two different types of bias that we have to deal with. There's the like, hey, I haven't seen a woman that directed like a good superhero film, so I'm not going to give a woman a superhero film. That's kind of the overt bias. And then there's the idea that like certain groups of people aren't encouraged to, aren't given arts education, aren't, Mm -hmm. you know, I've spoken about my cousin who, was discouraged from trying to be an actor because your odds of you making it as an actor aren't good, so don't go do it. There's, like, kind of that stuff that's a little deeper and... Mm -hmm. Less uh, visible, less apparent. Yeah. yeah, It's like you can have the most... You you know, uh, Ryan Murphy talks about this, how he's always said, like, he wants to hire more women, wants to hire more women, and then he just made a rule. I'm gonna... 50% of the directors on my shows are gonna be women. That's just a rule, no matter what. So... Uh, you know, I directed the first season of Miss 2059, and they pretty much, I guess, have decided that the second season needs to be directed by a woman. But in the meantime, I'm still pitching a show with them. So, and they got a second season off the first season. So you would have to assume that they don't hate me or they aren't super disappointed with me. Um, but they are kind of putting their, their money where their mouth is. They're, sure. they're uh, you know, the creator, Anna, has always been the strong you know, fighter for uh, opportunities for women. And I think she just said, like, look, I keep saying this stuff, and this show is about women. Sure. Like, I'm sorry, but uh, we need a woman, a female director. What's funny is I actually just got a call from a friend that uh, was talking to his friend who's a female director. And he said, oh, yeah, my friend called me. She said she's up for this show. Um, there's a lot of VFX in it. She doesn't have a lot of VFX experience. Do I know a VFX supervisor-type person that could maybe mm-hmm. help her. So my friend gave her my name. And is it Miss 2059? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Um yeah, you know. But yeah, honestly, there's zero, zero bitterness. I've, I agree. I think they're doing the right thing. They probably should have hired a female director the first, first time. Yeah, yeah. My friend Matt Barber, who's been on this show, has been passed up multiple times on TV shows because they didn't want to hire like another white male. So, you know, I think there is like an effort to hire other people. I think that our listener question is a little more nuanced because it's not about, you know, female, male, black, white, Hispanic, whatever. It's about comfort. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, there is like, to me comfort with working with someone is like a hundred percent based on communication. Mm -hmm. And look, obviously if they don't speak English at all it's hard for me to communicate with them right um you know but i think if they come from a different walk of life it doesn't really make a difference and right certainly uh, not
1: yeah and i think you know you want to always have as many different viewpoints represented as possible just you know from an artistic standpoint that's a pretty big advantage Uh, but i think his point of like you know we talk about uh we work with the same people over and over again all the time um You know, I think we're fortunate enough that we're working on a couple different sizes of things. And so the system that I'd had, and this is stupid, but uh, was that I would, like, try new people out on smaller projects, right, and build that rapport, build that relationship. So, like, sketches, I tried lots of different DPs for, for sketches, right, just to kind of, like, learn different things from different people, see what they're doing, all of that stuff. Um, and then on the bigger jobs where I couldn't take as many risks, I would go back to my old standards, all of whom are men that you uh, meant yeah. like in film school, what anyway. I, that I met in film school. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, look, so I don't know. We talked about D, DPs, you and I offline the other day. My experience is, I think I've worked probably with as many female DPs as male DPs. Um, to me, like the, is that true though? Yeah, I mean, I think. Look, I work with Jess a lot. Yeah, uh, his name you, could be a you, girl's name. Yeah, the the uh, number.
1: I'm I'm gonna call you on this. I think the the number of jobs that you've done with male DPS vastly outweighs the number of jobs you've done with female DPS. Well, I'm, just in the amount of time that you and I, because I keep yeah, close yeah. tabs on your your work. Obviously, like we have a podcast together.
0: Yeah, I'd say fifty percent of it is Jess Dunlap. Right. So, yeah, if you count days, it's different. If you count, like, I probably, there's probably like three or four male DPs I work with a lot and sure. three or four female DPs that I work with not as much, but not as, well. as much. Not as much. Exactly. <laughs> but 50%, yeah. yeah, but yeah. look, because look, I just, there's a relationship I mean, a director makes with like a DP. And now I've been working with this other DP, Amanda. Yeah. Player, and I would this hire her when, I, you know, I love working with her. I love working with Jess. I love it. it not ever even came remotely close to my thoughts that like, it matters at all what her gender is, you know, or anything like that. And I know that that's what, that's not what the problem is. Um, I mean, I think the best thing I can do is try to train my daughter to be super technical and to never like allow her to think like that boys are more into engineering than Mm -hmm. girls, you know, like that's, I feel like the, the deepest thing I can do. Um, but in terms of DPs, I don't know. Cause I, at AFI, where I like worked on a bunch of thesis or a bunch of student films there, like I thought all the best DPs there were women, yeah. you know, I, and even in grips and gaffers and electricians and all that stuff. Um, I will tell you, you know, where I've seen like the most uh, gender bias is mm-hmm. like when I see producers mm-hmm. and production coordinators, a majority of them women saying that they would. Rather hire male PAs because they are better at, like, lifting, lifting all Thanks. the heavy shit yeah, and sure. taking a bunch of trash out and just yeah, yeah. doing the shitty, shitty
1: jobs. Well, shout out to, you know, Grant Collins. He's uh, a PA with, like, giant strength. <laughs> oh, I prob- maybe I've worked with him. I love this dude.
0: Real sweetheart. And, like, literally I've seen him carry eight director's chairs at one time. Right. Well, there's still as egalitarian as we are of a society. Um, If you were walking down the street and you saw a young woman that you didn't know carrying like a really heavy box, you would probably ask her if she needs help. You know, it's more likely than a guy that was carrying it, right? And the guy would probably be more likely to refuse your help than the girl. So, you know, it's still part of our society to assume that Men should lift the heavy stuff. Sure, sure. Right? Well, I think,
1: um, you know, I shared an article with you when we were talking about this question um, from a director named El Schneider who shoots a lot herself. And I remember she wrote an article for IndieWire that I dug up about kind of how systemic it is that uh, women are are excluded from shooting situations right and you know like i think there is the stereotype of like you know a grip is like you know a dude in a baseball cap and cargo shorts you know um and so we'll, we'll share that article on in the um show notes but i thought like oh that's a it kind of opened my mind up to like how systemic certain roles in filmmaking.
0: Right. Well, grips be, and electricians yeah. are like I mean it is like a union blue collar job, right? Like especially as you've, you've done it for 30 years, so it's like you don't see a lot of women work mine coal mine workers, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. Um it's just a manual labor job at the end of the day once you've figured out all the tips and tricks and strategies sure. and it's like sailors like how you once you know all the knots and how to do this and this it's like you know, it just seems to be something that men don't mind doing as, sure. as much as women. I, you know, I, I don't know that that's true, but because they happen to be part of the pathways to becoming a DP, um, then it's like inserting this kind of block. Uh, I will say, in my defense about Jess, I'd say definitely more than 50% of his camera crew is female. Sure, yeah, yeah. I would say um, since we've been working,
1: we've seen a big shift in terms of gender and uh uh, and diversity kind of shifting and i think that's kind of the benefit of being like next wave younger filmmakers you know i think there is still like a lot of female producers and production designers you know for whatever reason yeah makeup Um, artists there are not a lot of men male makeup artists i had uh on this last shoot i had um um, a boyfriend girlfriend team uh for makeup and uh, it was great. It was like so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Like, and a, a lot of times, like, like, like the boy, like the
0: male ones come in a little more through like the creature special effects yeah, yeah. makeup he, side of things. He was the dude like building rigs like for blasting blood and guts for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I guess I would challenge you, Matt. How many of our listeners? I mean, you mm-hmm. would you have to agree that we don't have much control over who listens to this podcast. Sure. Um, how many of our listeners do you think are Male versus female. Ratio oh, that's wise. interesting. Um, boy, have we gotten a single female question? Never. Never. I'd venture to say we're between ninety-five and a hundred percent of our of the, our listeners that have listened to at least five episodes are male. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to be corrected on that. If yeah. you are not male and you listen to this show, please write us. But. But I do think that it's kind of an example of even today in 2017, the problem is very deep. It's like, it is the, in elementary school, it's the dads and the grandpas showing the sons how to like edit, you know, Mm -hmm. a video and not the daughters. Yeah. Handing them a camera to like record
1: uh, recitals or whatever. I think a lot of that is really going to change now that there's a camera in every child's pocket. Yeah. Well. I mean, not every child, obviously, but um,
0: all the cool kids. You know, there's a well, uh, I know, and I'm just a, I'm just <laughs> a class divide there, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I only watch stuff shot on iPhone Seven and above. <laughs> yeah. No, um, doubt. no doubt. Well, cool. Well, yeah. I, I yeah. mean, obviously, there's no answer to this, but it's it made you know I, I think that was a good point that was made, and we yeah. will solve it it's next thing. week. It's a thing we're working on. I, the thing we should work more on is um, getting
1: more female voices on this show. Oh yeah, which we're we're pretty active about doing, but I, you know, we could be better at it for sure.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, that's the I thing. I wonder that's if, they, the thing to do. if those episodes have some female
1: listeners. I wonder. Well, and those are amongst the strongest. You know, like if you if I had to name my favorite episodes, uh, Melissa Hunter is still a great one. Abby Fuller, like you mentioned, I think the Eulene episode is really great. Liz always stands out. Yeah, um, and Carlin. And on then was great. Carlin. That's all of and the Mara. females.
0: Oh, and Mara. That's right. Yeah, and Abby. Did you mention that? I mentioned Abby already. Yeah, we're sorry if we forgot to mention you, but you probably don't listen. I, uh, you,
1: I I'm, Abby Abby was number two for sure. I
0: no, no, no. I'm not saying that to, to Abby. I'm saying if there's anyone else. Oh, any forgotten. other females? Well, yeah, they probably don't listen. <laughs> Um anyway so let's uh we got to wrap this up soon but let's listen to uh we got one more question. We got one more question. And we wanted to talk about an email form. It's from Anthony Moya writes in
1: uh asking about social media and basically how we approach it whether or not you divide your personal um projects from your more professional ones. Um, And do you go ahead and invest now in creating a a page for people to like uh, so that you kind of, you know, divide your uh, profiles even more into personal and um, professional and then from professional into pet projects versus more client work? How do you how do you slice all that stuff up?
0: Right. So first of all, I mean, this is all so subjective and probably, you know, you ask 10 directors and they'll give you 20 different answers. To me, I'm not trying to build a fan base of Mm Orin Kaplan, the director, in terms of like having fan pages and having followers on Twitter and having like, sure, I have, you know, we, as for the show, we want people to know who we are. And, you know, in terms of people, producers and stuff, we want them to know who we are. But I wouldn't suppose that any people in the industry or outside of the industry want to like go to Facebook and like pages of directors unless it's like Tarantino or Scorsese, you know? Um, So in that regards, I don't I wouldn't invest too much time beyond your personal network uh, of friends. I would say
1: I maybe disagree with you actually okay yeah um only in so much that like you know you certainly you shouldn't be obsessed with your brand or like anything like that, but I think that um. You're right. Like people aren't industry people aren't liking
0: random director pages, but like if you sent out a mass email saying like, "Hey guys, I started a Facebook page for Matt enlo the director. Can you please like it?" I'd be like, "No." Yeah, you'd be like, "No,"
1: right? But I think that there is real value in building um, a fan base around the thing that you do. You know, I think you go say that to yulin Kwan, right? And you're like. Right, you or know, Anna Akana, or, or Anna Akana, or plenty of filmmakers that we like and admire, or even Edgar Wright, or James Cameron, you know, like or Guillermo del Toro. But they don't build their own stuff. They don't build their own stuff, but uh, but they are, or Joss Whedon. I think there is a component of building community around the thing that you do and make, and that has changed a lot. But I don't see a huge difference between. Guillermo del Toro doing a curated museum showcase of his private art collection and starting a Twitter page.
0: Well, what's, what's his name?
1: Uh, Anthony Moya.
0: Yeah, but I think what Anthony is saying is like, do you need to separate those two things? Do you need to create an entity of you as the director mm-hmm. and you as the personal thing? And I think like Judd Apatow, those guys at um, Guillermo del Toro, they are saying, here's my personality. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's very much in line with the work I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Here's my brand. Yeah, right? yeah. So I'm not brand. against having a brand. I'm against making a separate, uh, trying to separate you as a director from you as a mm-hmm. human being. You know. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I remember um, having a long,
1: multiple conversations with a, an executive that I knew. You know, who's high powered, and so you know, I remember him telling me. He was like, he could, he knew that he wanted to be on Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. And he wasn't on any of it because, like, he would get pitched at kids' birthday parties. Right. Right. So all of the cool kids would love this guy. You know, he'd be followed by all the famous people that he's worked with before and, like, immediately have status. You know, he'd be immediately verified and all of that stuff. All of the stuff that, like, you know, those signifiers of, like, being a bigwig. And he was avoiding all of it because he just wanted to see pictures of his, like, you know, nieces and stuff right and so it's kind of the opposite of what we're talking about where it's like i think of most of my social media as not really being personal and purely letting it be you know public facing marketing for for matt and the director and matt and the persona or whatever you know
0: right i'm different in that i'm like almost all personal yeah um and I'm also a big believer in not uh, unless it's really part of your brand like Judd Apatow or Sarah Silverman mm-hmm. to make political commentary. I really try to not air my thoughts on sure very controversial things online, you know, just in case, I don't know, it will affect some <laughs> work in the future or something. Right. Yeah, no, and I think that's um, smart. But I think to answer Anthony's other question about the website, do you have a professional mm-hmm. part and like a personal part? I kind of think, I mean, this is just something I've thought of now and I can be wrong. I probably am. But that there's kind of two phases as a director that you go through. Um, there's the phase where you are making money, shooting corporate videos mm-hmm. or, you know, infomercials or mm-hmm. TV, movie, whatever. Something that is or, not your passion project. Or like cutting, you know, sizzles at a studio right. or, you know. and while you're working on your personal things. And then there's the phase that hopefully we all aspire, get to, I don't know if we all aspire to, but get to where those things that we make our money from are Mm -hmm. the same things that we're excited about. So whether I get hired to do a sci-fi action comedy for Go 90 or I'm making my own sci-fi thriller short film, they're in the same world and somebody that's interested in hiring me uh, can look at both of them. Maybe the personal one is even a better example. Right. But if someone wants to hire me to shoot some interviews for a documentary, I'm not going to show them like a advent, action adventure parody, right? right? So I think that's what Anthony is saying. So I think Anthony, if you're at the level where you do one thing for money and a different thing for personal, then yeah, mm-hmm. have your website be, you know, anthony.com whatever, directed by Anthony slash real mm-hmm. or whatever, or you or know, just directed by Anthony as like your professional stuff and slash personal or whatever or that you you can. You can have the categories on your website. If someone really cares to go around and see everything right. you know, you do. They can, but just decide if you want it to be the face of your business and have make the landing right. page feature that work. Because I, I think having both stuff is confusing. Is a little confusing. I think uh, you
1: know maybe the way you do it is like if you're looking at client work that can be under a company name. And then the things that you want to represent yourself are under your director website. So, like, I think Nick and Blake are a great example of that. The Sawhorse guys, Sawhorse does everything, right? You can do a branded comedy piece. You can do a lifestyle piece. You can do big budget web series. You can do movies. You can do all that stuff, right? That's what they do. Uh, Nick and Blake, as a directing duo, kind of specialized a little bit more. That's like a nice way to kind of clarify it, I think. And you know, Eric Crepau, our, our um, old editor, you know, he has his company, Flashpoint IO, that does
0: trailers. Eric, the creative,
1: is still just Eric
0: Crepau. Well, so when you go to Sawhorse LA, the first thing on the homepage is their reel, which mm-hmm. says like we do this and this and this and this. And then if you click on work you see all work which is kind of their best stuff up top which is some celebrity stuff it's actually like all celebrity stuff (laughs) um and then some like narrative shows they've done and then they have categories commercial slash branded digital music video slash fashion narrative and then they're real again so right yeah i guess the easy answer is find directors that you want to be like and copy what they did that's why all our websites look the same. We all use like the same Squarespace profile. I just updated profile. mine. Did you see mine? No, I have not yeah, seen yours yeah, yeah. yet. Should I, I react I, to it in, in real time?
1: In real time? Yeah, because I was like, oh, man, I know the exact template that we're all using. And uh, I felt like it was just a little overwhelming, you know? So I wanted to streamline to a design that could highlight fewer videos more prominently.
0: Oh, Matt Enlow, writer, director, third thing. Funny joke right at the top. Thank you. Picture view that doesn't look like you. Does that not look like me? Oh, dang. Is that you? Oh.
1: Huh. I wore that shirt yesterday.
0: <laughs> oh, cool. Sketch. Yeah, cool. Commercial. Th- oh, my I internet see. is so slow. So. Well, I'm also like on the Dropbox. Okay. Right. um Oh, and then your bio at the bottom. Oh, and does it, it probably scrolls? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a one page site. Yeah, one page site. So it's just a stack, basically. So you can kind of right. go through. Cool. Well, yeah. Check out MrMadEnLoad.com. Check out DirectedByOren.com and then just copy one of those. Yeah. Or SawHorseLA.com. Well, cool. Well, thanks a lot for the questions. Please write in. If you are a uh, female filmmaker, please let us know. Uh, yeah. And debunk the theory that we only have male listeners. I, there's, man, that's crazy. There's got to be some. Well, hopefully. But write us a question. We'll Represent, right? That, yeah. You know. Before we do our final sign off, let's just uh, endorse some things. Oh, yeah.
1: Unpaid endorsements.
0: So I'll go first while Matt comes up with something to endorse. I've I've got it. I just want to get the exact title. Oh, man. I want my title, too. Well, so mine is uh, an episode of a podcast. Uh, Oh. It's an episode of Planet Money. Um, Is it the Blumhouse one? Yes. Dude,
1: so good. I'm not stealing it from you. Okay. (laughs) Um, I thought you were going to endorse it. It came up. I had a meeting yesterday, and it came up in the meeting.
0: Yeah. So there's this podcast called Planet Money. It's from NPR. Um, Do you know what it's called, the episode?
1: Uh, No, but it's like the most recent episode.
0: Oh, yes. It came out a while ago, and then they updated it because Get Out is a Blumhouse film. Right. It's episode 650 of Planet Money. It's called The Business Genius Behind Get Out. It's only twenty six minutes, which is actually very long for a Planet Money episode. Yeah, it's really great, and they, you know, they talk
1: about uh, just kind of the model that Jason Blum really uh, has kind of run with recently, you know, and he does all of those movies like
0: Insidious, Paranormal Activity, Paranormal Activity is a big but one, but he also did Get Out and he did Whiplash. Right,
1: so pretty cool, pretty profitable dude, um, and it's not that different from. You know, those indie models that we always talk about, their Joe Swanberg, J. Duplass sort of moves. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth a listen. Yeah. What do you got, Matt? Uh, so, I've got a, a video on Vimeo. Say that five times fast. Video on Vimeo. A video on Vimeo. Vimeo okay. You're close. Yeah, we'll you're just loop got, in and yeah. edit. Uh, it's called Notes on a Case of Ni- Nicholas Gerwich. Um, who Nick Gerwich is the creator of the comic, the Perry Bible Fellowship. Do you know that comic? Nope. It's incredible. It, he did it as like, started as like a college, like newspaper comic strip. And then kind of blew up from there. Um, like 10 years ago now, like I s- first came across it in like uh, San Francisco. who used to have that museum, the Museum of museum of uh, comic arts. Mm. Um, and they had pieces of his there. They're just like weird twisted, like surreal sort of comics. But like really, really funny. So anyway, this is a documentary about how he's been working on this book obsessively for years now. That he kickstarted. He's a year and a half late on delivering it. Basically, instead of drawing on um, with pen and ink, he applies ink onto a surface um, and then etches it off uh, very slowly with these like meticulous little little tools. So it's basically just a meditation on this guy's. Obsessive creation of this novel, this oh, graphic cool. novel. Uh, and it's called Notes on a Case of Nicker which, and then you should also check out uh, Perry Bible Fellowship, which is Perry saying, Bible Fellowship. Perry Bible Fellowship. Yeah.
0: Okay, cool. cool. Well, thanks, man. Thanks, Oren. Uh, if you guys want to uh, contact us and uh, hear about everything from this episode, go to justunipod.com. You can email us at justunipod at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 2626 shoot one and let us know what you think of the show. Ask us questions. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you could please leave us an iTunes review, we will read it out loud on the next episode. So just plug something. Yeah, if you got something to plug, you got to kickstart something, you got a short film idea, um, you want to tell Oren how cool he is. All that stuff is so rad. Yeah, I'd really appreciate that. Um, Okay, cool. Well, thanks again. Uh, Music is provided by the Free Music Library and the artist Gerard. (laughs) Jazar. (laughs) (laughs) And the artist Jazar. 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 Bye, Uh, everybody. Thanks.